Welcome you again to Weston Park Baptist Church on this second Sunday of the month of June. Last Sunday was Pentecost, which is always a reminder here in Ontario that uh, summer is approaching, so we have some good weather and hot weather ahead of us. We continue on uh, through this month on the Gospel of Mark, and uh, today we come to a quite a fascinating story that we know well, uh, Christ and the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. So we're going to look at that. It's a, an interesting combination with what we saw last week when Christ gives in more depth his teaching about the cross, to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And then that note of suffering is followed by this statement on glory. So that's not by accident. Mark puts these together in terms of our own suffering and ultimately the glory that we have in Christ. So these two come together in this unit that we're looking at in Mark chapter 9. So we see the connection. Uh, in chapter 9, as we begin, we're told that after six days, Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to a high mountain. So there's a connection between the story before and what happens now, as we noted, after six days. So Mark is looking back at that point. And so connecting the story, we're told that Christ and the three go up to a very high mountain, we're told. And so traditionally that mountain has been called Mount Tabor challenge with that is Mount Tabor is a bit farther into the south. They've been in the north, but that's, you know, tradition has that. But another option is Mount Hermon, which was nearby and actually is the highest mountain, over 9,000 feet um, in Israel. So it's, it's the biggest mountain. So it could be that they went up to that very high mountain as Mark emphasizes. But the location isn't really that important to us. They go up, and we're not told really why in the Gospel of Mark, but Luke, again, in his uh, parallel, says that they go up to pray. That makes sense. So Jesus takes the three disciples, this core of his group, up this high mountain, and they are going to spend time in prayer. And so that's... Uh, how our text begins. We know that the mountain is always this symbol, a sacred place, a place to meet God. Moses met God on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Here, Jesus takes his disciples up the mountain to pray. So the, the disciples would have a sense that something's up here because you know, they're going up with a purpose. They're not just going for a walk. So they go up and they are going to spend time together in prayer. So that's how it begins. So it's a, it's a beginning of mystery. Uh, and, and we're reminded that in our faith, there is always this dimension of mystery. Things are not just clear, always black and white in that sense. Life can be mysterious, and certainly faith can be mysterious. And we cannot always, by any means, just make it all make sense and understand it at every dimension. 
So Daniel Taylor has a wonderful book called The Myth of Certainty, and he just reminds us of that point, that we, we can't be certain on everything, but that our awareness of God does include this dimension of faith, as we've been noting the last few weeks. So a mysterious beginning, and that's what we're going to see as this story of transfiguration takes place. So the first point being then there's mystery on the mountain, as I just noted. And so as we begin the text, we, we see, we hear this. Six days later, J Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, or he was transformed before them. The word actually is related to our word metamorphosis. He morphs before them into another dimension, if you like. And, and we're told that in his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. So it's a, it's a picture that's you know, amazing. It's that we can't just understand it in our minds at every level, you know, by in our consciousness, that sense. But there is a sense of imagination to this. Jesus, radiant white, metamorphosis. So it speaks of the numinous of God. It speaks of the, the overtones of Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, when the, the Son of Man, you know, this ancient one, comes uh, in the vision of Daniel. And it, it speaks of that. So there's a picture of mystery and of Jesus being transformed, his metamorphosis before his disciples. And then as that's going on, two figures appear. And the disciples recognize them, one of being Moses, who was the giver of the law, and secondly, Elijah, who was understood in the Jewish tradition as the greatest of the prophets. And again, in Luke, we're told that the three of them, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, are speaking about the things that are about to happen, and particularly about Jesus' departure, meaning his ascension. So this is going on. So just imagine the disciples are looking at that, hearing that, you know, this is just kind of blowing their mind. And one thing for sure, it would have been very reassuring to Jesus in his humanity that he is on the right track. As he is looking to the cross, Moses and Elijah are encouraging him, if you like, and confirming that he is on the right direction. So Christ in his humanity, this is a gift to him. So two figures appear with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Peter breaks in, as he often does, and he, and he says, Lord, Lord, you know, why don't I build three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, and, you know, we'll just have a, a big party. And, and probably this is related to the festival of Sukkot, where the Jewish people would indeed build sukkahs or tents and they would speak about God's goodness and God's stories of how God has worked in the history of Israel. And they would speak of God's providence and of God's care. So Peter might be thinking, well, this, this would be a time to remember what God is doing for my rabbi, Jesus. 
So he breaks in on, on that kind of level. It, we're told that they were astonished and they didn't really know what to say, so Peter jumps in and begins speaking that way. And then as the story goes along, a cloud overshadows them. And a cloud, again, in the Jewish thought and in the Jewish history, a cloud symbolizes the presence of God. The cloud went before the children of Israel in their years in the Exodus. And we remember also in the dedication of the temple, a cloud comes in, the presence of God fills the temple, and it reveals the presence of God. So a cloud overshadowing them for Mark is a reminder to his readership that, that God is involved and God's presence is involved on this mountaintop experience. And then that is shown because now a voice speaks and the, vo the voice speaks, this is my son, the beloved. Let me just read it in verse seven. Then a cloud overshadowed them and from the cloud there came a voice, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. And so we note here that this, this voice is in the third person. This is my son, the beloved. So it's being directed, if you like, to the disciples, to Peter, James, and John. The voice of God is saying to them, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Now again, for the readership of Mark, this parallels the story we heard in Mark 1, where at Jesus' baptism, a voice, a dove descends, last week Pentecost, the dove descends, and a voice says, you are my beloved son, you. So there God is speaking directly to Jesus, you, second person, you. You are my son, and I love you. And this was an important statement to Jesus as he goes off and begins his ministry. So here we are several years later, and we now have this mountaintop experience. And the voice is now in the third person. This is my beloved son. So there's parallels, but it's, it is different. And we note the statement, you are to listen to him. So what, is, what, what are they to listen to? Why does God now say in this situation, listen to him? And I think it goes back to what we were talking about last week in that Jesus gives in his teaching more detail and more information on the Son of Man, term that he uses for himself, particularly as it relates to the cross and to his own suffering. And we're going to see in the next few verses that Jesus, again, references that. So these words were hard, right? Remember Peter says to Jesus, no, 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 this is never going to happen to you. You're never going to die that, 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 in that way. Forget it. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking in terms of the things of God, but the things of people, humanity, how we normally look at things. And so that, those are tough ideas. And so following that story, we now have this statement of glory and we have God's statement, okay, I want you to listen to him because those were hard words. But God is saying, listen to him because these are important truths in terms of 
my revelation to the world. I know you don't get it all. It goes back to the idea of mystery. But nevertheless, it will be revealed. So God is speaking words of encouragement in terms of Christ's teaching on the cost of discipleship, which were hard for the disciples to understand. God reminds them, listen to him. So the transfiguration story, that's the first part, this word of mystery, becomes a counterpoint, if you like, to the message of the cross. So the message of the cross is suffering. And now the counterpoint of the transfiguration is glory. So suffering and glory go together. Suffering and glory go together for Jesus. Ultimately, suffering and glory will happen also for the disciples. Take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And for us today, disciples of Jesus 2,000 years later, ultimately suffering and glory will happen for us as well. That is part of one part of the human condition. Suffering is part of our condition. The whole history of humanity ends with death for us, and that can be a painful death, and that's suffering. But what Jesus is saying is that's not the end of the story. There's also glory. And Jesus is going to go on and, and ultimately be resurrected. God will raise him, and he will ascend to the right hand of the throne of God. And then he there will be our mediator and work for us. So our own glory follows through us. I've said Jesus breaks through the death barrier and ultimately we follow him. That is glory. Suffering here, but ultimately glory, but even glory related to suffering here and now. Because in our own pain, we can get new understanding and new revelation, and new ways. It is part of our human condition, our human journey. And even in those days of challenge, there can be elements of insight and glory, but ultimately we will know that in a full way. So the transfiguration then is a counterpoint to the message of the cross, and we will indeed experience this. So interesting, Romans 12, 2, wonderful verse of Paul, note, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That word, be transformed, is the very same word here as transfigured, very same. We will be transfigured. We will be transformed. We will be morphed more and more into the image of God. So we might discern God's will for us. That, that's what Paul is saying. And, and he chooses that word very carefully. It's an unusual word. It only happens a couple of times. But we will be transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind. So metamorphosis is also there for you and for me as we look to God. And that's a good news story. The mystery of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration also speaks ultimately to our metamorphosis. As we have faith and as we have hope in God, that's, that's where Mark wants us to follow.
very same word. We also note, and I would suggest that at, at times in our life, just as we apply this a little bit, there are moments that we, that we can experience that where we also know the numinous of God. Where God breaks into your life, my life, in an unusual way, an unusual connection, a numinous moment, an awesome moment. The mysterium tremendum, the tremendous mystery, Rudolf Otho talked about. So there are such mysterious moments of faith that can happen. And, the, and the, the thing here is that we are to remember those and not to forget them, but to allow those moments to fund our lives. Whenever that happened to you, whenever you sense God's closeness in a particular way, a special way, something happened in your consciousness and you became aware of God, that's a numinous moment for you. And the encouragement is that we don't forget that. We allow that to keep speaking into our lives. So that's how the story begins. And then they start on their way down the mountain. And it's interesting how the, the story continues on in, in the second part. Notice after the voice, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. Here, verse 9, suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. But it happens suddenly. That moment of numinous is gone, just like that. Jesus and Moses and Elijah are there with the three, and then in a moment, after the voice, they are there just with Jesus, and all the other elements of glory are gone. And that's important to remember because that's the way it works often in our lives too. We have that numinous moment and then we turn around and it's just back to square one. It's back to regular old life. And what can happen is that we forget then. that Because things happen so quickly, then we start thinking, well, hey, maybe that never even happened to me. Maybe I'm just imagining, you know, it was something I ate or something, you know, it's just gone. We have to hold on. Suddenly, Jesus is with the three disciples, Moses and Elijah are gone. They're on their way back down the mountain. And so the mystery then is followed by regular life and conversation. Jesus in conversation with the three disciples. And so what we see here is that, okay, Jesus says to them, he speaks about the event. And first of all, he reminds them, you can read that in verse 9, I'll read it. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Son of Man is a reference to himself. Jesus uses that. So he basically says, look, I don't want you to talk to the rest of the disciples about this right away because they won't get it. All right, so let's just hold on to that. It's between you and me. And then after my death and resurrection, he reminds them, then talk about it. But until then, don't. So conversation is going on, speaks to them. And then the disciples 
they bring up the idea, well, what about Elijah? Because I understand that Elijah is going to come back before the final end of things. And, and Jesus says, well, you're right on that, but he's already come. And he, he says, he doesn't reference the name, but it's pointing to John the Baptist. And he says, John has come. He's done his work as Elijah. And then they did whatever they wanted to him. So they have this conversation. First of all, don't talk about it. And then they have a question and Jesus answers their question about Elijah. You can look at Malachi chapter 4 if you want to pursue that a little bit. The conversation. And the conversation, again, connects the glory and suffering. Because in verse 9, we hear about the Son of Man rising from the dead. And then verse 12, the Son of Man goes through much suffering. So Jesus is speaking twice about himself. He uses this language of the Son of Man to connect with suffering. So suffering and glory go together, as we've noted. And Jesus reminds them about that truth, even as they walk down the mountain. And so the point for us here is that it's a reminder again that Jesus enters into our lowliness. Jesus enters into our pain. He is in solidarity with us. He's compassionate and he looks at your suffering, my suffering, our whole struggle and our life journey. God is with us in Jesus and he does so in patience and compassion because he knows what we are like. He enters into our own weakness and lowliness. That's the story of walking down the mountain of Jesus and his disciples. So, you know, not just your life here, but in a global reality. The, the pain and suffering in the Ukraine. The pain and suffering in Uvalde right now. God enters into this pain and suffering because he knows about it, because he's experienced it. And so he enters into our reality and he wants us to look to him and be comforted by him as our shepherd, Jesus as our shepherd. So suffering in your personal circumstances and suffering also on a global level, God with us. So it's not just, oh God, God, you know, why does God allow all this to happen? God has entered into our pain and in our suffering. He's experienced it in Jesus. But ultimately, it will point and look to glory. But our invitation right now is to look to God, look to Christ, look to his Holy Spirit. Last week, Pentecost. Trust and depend on him. So the good news, if you like, is that glory follows suffering. Glory follows the pain. And that's revealed in this story of the Mount of Transfiguration. I end with one final verse because it uses that word metamorphosis again. Here, 2 Corinthians 3, Now the Lord is the Spirit, last week Pentecost, and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, note, are being transformed, that's the word, are experiencing metamorphosis like a butter, butterfly into the same image icon from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Pentecost. So three times in this text, 
the Lord Spirit, Lord Spirit, Lord Spirit, Jesus Spirit, metamorphosis, life, renewal. That's the word of Mark, that's the word of Jesus to us, that's the word of Paul here, that we might ultimately experience transformation, metamorphosis in Jesus, becoming our true selves, knowing our true selves, and as we do that, experience abundant life. So I pray for you right now, this week, and whatever you're going through, that you might find encouragement in Jesus' work in your life, his word of encouragement, his word of transformation for you, for me, and ultimately for all those you love as they look to Christ and open their lives to him. May we pray towards that end and say yes to Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.